What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us. This is Danny Langloss. Hey, if you're not following us on LinkedIn, please connect, follow us. We're posting daily leadership, mindset, motivation content. Also linked in this podcast description is an article we wrote titled Employee Engagement 10X, The Seven Pillars of Ownership. Ownership changes the game. Ownership is our team members' extreme psychological and emotional commitment to the team, to the organization, to our goals, to our purpose. It's when people do things because it's important to them, not because they're told to do it. Changes everything. All right, here we go. Let's get after it. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today we're joined by Rebecca Fraser-Thill, and we're going to be talking about belonging, specifically the importance of belonging at work. Sense of belonging is the second pillar in our seven pillars of ownership framework, so we couldn't be more excited to be talking to Rebecca about this today. We discovered her work a few weeks ago while we're doing research on belonging, and we were blown away by an article she published in Forbes in September of 2019. As it turns out, her research is, is why spread out there. Her knowledge is beyond belief. And so I think we're just going to be tapping into things right now with her. So Rebecca is a pivot certified career coach, a senior contributor for Forbes, where she covers the creation of meaning and purpose and work. She taught psychology at Bates College in Maine for 18 years and led the creation of purposeful work at the college, which is a set of developmental programming for undergraduates. Her perspectives have been shared in Business Insider, Bloomberg Business Week. Chicago Tribune, New York Post, Dow Jones Market Watch, and other outlets. Rebecca, welcome to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Couldn't be more excited to have you here. You know, it's funny, you talk about your focus being on meaning and purpose at work, and we talked about this off air a second ago, but pillar three in the seven pillars of ownership is aligning purpose, the importance of aligning purpose. So for, for another time, but Rebecca, could you please... Um, share with our listeners, you know, your journey and some of your background, which has led you to where you are today? Absolutely. Happy to. Um, a little bit on like more of the, the narrative side, since you gave the beautiful bio background, um, is that I'm someone who has always been wondering about like what makes life worth living as long as I can remember, honestly, even as a child. Um, and when I was in college and then went into grad school, I kept having this feeling like I was being pushed towards these um, indicators of success that weren't actually meaningful to me. They felt like they were hollow. And so I started to dig deeper and really start to look for research that could help me understand how do we create something deeper in our work lives? Because we spend so much time at work. How could we not be caring about the sense of meaning and purpose and deep engagement, fulfillment, impact, all of those really important elements. And so through my work at Bates College teaching, I was able to dig deeper, start to watch the research emerge, which it really did emerge over those 18 years, work with students on thesis projects, and then start to think about how do we get this out to the public. And so I moved into career coaching and writing so that it wasn't just about what I was learning and engaging with my students, but also helping people think about how can you apply this in your everyday life? And that's what I'm deeply passionate about. Um, so that's a little bit of my journey, how I moved from academia into really a lot of practice elements and writing right now. Wow. Thank you very much. for sharing. You said, what makes life worth living? And, and your 
really your desire to figure that out and, you know, kind of peel back the, the onion or the orange or whatever, uh, analogy that, that is awesome. That kind of sends, you know, tingles through my spine, you know, that deep engagement, fulfillment at work, creating impact, all those things. So important when we talk about ownership. So Rebecca, how do you define belonging? Yeah, it's such an important question. And how I define it is really based on how psychologists define it, right? And so I'm standing on all everyone's shoulders on this one. But psychologists really say it's about feeling that you are you matter in an environment and you matter for who you are. You don't have to pretend you're something in order to matter. Um, and there's a great book called The Power of Meaning by Emily Esfahani Smith. It's just chock full of research and, um, and she pulls it together in a very accessible way. I've used it in my classes and I tell my coaching clients all the time to go get that. And she has a great chapter all about belonging in which she pulls together the research to indicate that two things really have to happen in order for there to be a sense of belonging that in a relationship between two individuals, they have mutual care and concern. So it's the sense that you matter to me and I matter to you. And we're doing behaviors that actually indicate that. And it's not a one-way street. So that's one element. And the other element that she says is really important and lots of research bears this out is having frequent pleasant interactions with that individual that you feel like you belong with um, or that organization or group that you feel you belong with. Notably, it doesn't have to be like these intensely positively emotion, emotionally valenced emo, um, experiences. You don't have to be like having fun all the time, but it's the absence of negative emotion that's really key. So that the person at least feels like they're having neutral interactions, ideally having some positive interactions um, and that they occur regularly, which is really important to this. So a person feels belonging when they've got that mutual care and concern and they're having frequent pleasant interactions. Okay. Excellent. I love that deep dive and a few things right away there. So, you know, some people in, in leadership roles, and I wouldn't necessarily consider them leaders. I consider them more bosses say, you know, that's great in your personal life, but you know, Rebecca, why is this important in the workplace? Oh, it's so important. We can put numbers around why it's so important. So for the, the people, your listeners who are like, yeah, give me something tangible. I talk about this in my Forbes article, but there was a great art, um, study done by the organization BetterUp that offers coaching for, to organizations. And they surveyed 1,800 full-time employees nationwide and found, and found how much belonging really matters to people and quantified it. So one thing they found was that people who feel a sense of belonging at work take 75% fewer sick days, 75%. And when better up ran some numbers around that, that equates to about $2.5 million worth of lost productivity each year per 10,000 workers. If you're looking at that sick day, um, about absenteeism, huge number. You also see a total difference in job performance and productivity. So people who are deeply engaged, who are feeling like they belong in particular, they have a 56% increase in their job performance, um, which again, could be quantified better up, put it as $52 million per year for every 10,000 employees. I mean, these are big numbers. And then you've also got turnover. We all know that retention's a major issue for corporations and organizations, especially right now during what 
many are calling the big quit or the great resignation, right? So many people <laughs> leaving. Well, one of the keys to not having your employees leave is having them feel like they belong. There's a 50% higher rate of turnover in people who don't feel like they belong compared to people who do feel like they belong. And that's about $10 million a year per 10,000 employees for an organization. So those are big, big numbers. And then even on an individual level, people who are looking to be promoted, to get raises, you're much more likely, twice as likely to get a raise if you feel like you have a sense of belonging, 18 times more likely to be promoted in a six month period if you feel like you belong. Um, and that all matches up, right? If you're somebody who's deeply engaged, so you're performing well, you've got high productivity, you're not taking a bunch of sick days, you're probably going to be the person who's also going to be looked to as the go-to and likely will be more in line for raises and, um, and that increase in title as well. So, so for people out there who um, maybe haven't bought into the concept of leading the whole person and you know, belonging these types of things, here's very tangible things for outcomes, how to create great teams, high-performing teams, all of these things you know, as a byproduct lead to increased profits, um, customer satisfaction, um, you know, leading the market, like all of these different things. It's, it's awesome the way you've been able to summarize that so well. So let me ask you, um, and I'm getting some ideas in that from, from, from what you've shared about a couple of things that matter, but what are some things leaders can do to intentionally create belonging both individually, but to really pull that team together. You might want to take that in two questions, I guess. Yeah. And, and they're highly inter, interrelated for sure. Um, some of the things you can do is by going back to what we were talking about as defining belonging, you've got to create the environment where you can have mutual care and concern and where you can also have those frequent, pleasant interactions. And you can engineer the frequent, pleasant interactions, right? Like you can create a culture in which instead of having once a year we have a barbecue and everyone talks to everybody, each other. Mm -hmm. What's it mean to make a culture where every day people actually say, good morning, <laughs> right? Something as simple as that. Every day people ask about how are you doing, right? Like even if you're in Zoom calls these days, mm -hmm. is there a moment to check in before you get right into the, the heart of the business, right? Is there a moment, how are, how are you? What's happening in your life? That's really important. That's that frequent pleasant interaction element. Um, obviously, when we're all in the same spaces together, slightly more easy to create that. But some cultures, everyone didn't say good morning. They didn't say goodbye. They all just went and went all into their own little areas and didn't interact at all. So how do you set up your environment so that they will bump into each other. Um, and how do you create maybe that snack room where people want to congregate for a bit of time, not, not to be low in productivity, which you might think, but actually to build up their sense like, this is a place where I belong. So you can engineer that. Um, you can also do some engineering of empathy building exercises. One of my favorite examples that BetterUp provided when I was interviewing the CEO of BetterUp he, he just kind of off the cuff said, you know, we, we did this thing where we have a bunch of our employees are fully remote. And this was pre-pandemic, right? Like they were just, that was their setup. And, um, and sometimes they'd say, we just don't feel like we're a part of things. And so what they did was they created remote weeks where everybody 
had to go remote. And now we've all had the experience of being remote. So now we know, oh yeah, we, we've all have empathy around what's it mean to be mm. not physically with others. But pre-pandemic, many of us had never been in a remote setting. So by creating remote weeks, the organization BetterUp said they had all these insights into, oh, this is how I feel excluded when I'm remote. Oh, this is the small little ways where this isn't working for us. Like the things that people were talking about in the hallway don't get conveyed into that meeting. So the remote workers feel out of the loop. Um, I certainly experienced that firsthand at my work at Bates College as an academic. I've never been on the tenure track actually by choice, but I'm not someone, I was on a, a renewing contract And then there's a whole group of people who are tenured or on the tenure track, which is much more like that long-term setting. And I I saw many department chairs in my years, um, 18 years, and some of them were really great about building empathy around what's it like to be not on the tenure track and what can we do to help those individuals feel like they belong. For instance, a small change, like when they're going to have meetings that are only for tenured individuals where they're like planning the future of the college instead of just letting me stumble on that meeting, like walk past and see them in a meeting and feel like, why aren't I in there? The great um, department chairs would head that off and they'd write to me in advance or stop by and say, hey, there's going to be this meeting happening. Here's why it's happening. And that's a great way to just make a person feel like, oh, I'm not excluded from this. There's a rationale there. You know, I know it's happening. I'm not hearing about it around the water cooler and wondering what happened. So Empathy is really key and we could go on and on, but those are two of the key, key elements there. That is no, I I really, I really like the way you broke that down. Real life examples, intentionality, everything starts at the top. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We have to model these behaviors as leaders. This has to be part of our leadership training. This has to be our expectations of leaders. It's amazing because I've been in places where you walk in and you don't get a greeting at all. And I've sat and interviewed people from different organizations and people from our own to say, you know, when I walk in, this person says hi and good morning and smiles to, you know, Mary, right? I'm making a name up. But when I walk in, uh, nobody even looks at me. And these are important feelings that, that drive these emotions that significantly impact our experience at work, but they significantly impact our connection, commitment to work and what it is we're willing to give. So, what are some of the benefits? I think we've covered some of them, but what are some of the, the benefits um, of this deep sense of belonging? So we know that we know people are, you know, more productive, right? We know that the turnover is less, um, but what are some day-to-day things we see in the environment because people feel like they belong? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I, I study meaning, right? And the number one driver of meaning, study after study shows, is belonging. Like always comes back to relationships and a sense of belonging. You just can't, whatever, however you design your research, that's what's at the, the center of that sense of meaning. And meaning matters in massive ways because on a day-to-day be- basis, people who feel a sense of meaning are individuals who are going to be physically healthier. It really affects our physical wellness um, when we feel like we have meaning. You get that different sense of uh, fulfillment, which certainly impacts your willingness to kind of jump out of bed in the morning and engage with other people, engage with your work. And this 
um, ongoing sense of like, I'm driving forward. I have somewhere that I'm heading towards, which yeah. you know, that energy when somebody's in the mm-hmm. room who has that energy versus the people who are just kind of punching a clock or doing whatever on their to-do list without a sense of why behind it, that's all very much going to affect everyone around them on a daily basis. So if we want people to feel a sense of meaning, which will make them not only physically healthier, but psychologically healthier in massive ways, um, then we need to be able to think about what's it mean to have belonging. And I should note that purpose is usually considered a a pillar of meaning, like it's an element of meaning. So I'm kind of using the two a bit interchangeably um, because purpose kind of is rides underneath meaning, but these aren't just like feel good, fuzzy sorts of things. Um, There was research that Gallup did, worldwide research that Gallup did really impressively. And they found that we have five different types of well-being and around the world, uh, not just in developed nations, but even in developing nations, that if you've got a sense of purpose, which they use very, very interchangeably with meaning, but if you have a sense of purpose, your sense that you are liking what you do every day and that you're digging into your strengths every day, you're using your strengths every day, then the other four elements of well-being, types of well-being, followed suit. Like you needed the one in order to predict the others. And the others are feeling like you're a sense of part of your community, financial well-being, so that money side of things, the physical well-being, so all that health that I was talking about, and, and all your relationships feel warmer and better as well. So it's like this predictive power that was found in worldwide research says meaning and purpose are not something that's just a nice to have. They are absolutely essential for all of the things that we all say that we want. Absolutely. You know, when I, when Alicia you talk about this and the impacts of it, one of the things that we look is how does we create and how do we create environments where people are, you know, creative, where they're innovative, where they're constantly challenging the status quo. One of the things we talk about all the time is we're constantly look to add layers of greatness, you know, this environment where people see a problem and instead of turning and walking away and not being their problem, they feel ownership and a duty for that. Not because it's important to their boss, but because it's important to them. You know, and uh, this this ownership concept of this extreme psychological, emotional commitment to what it is we do to our team, to the organization, and to that purpose you talk about, to where we don't we don't do it for other people. We do it in conjunction with them, right? And and we're drawn and connected to them by this purpose and meaning. But we do it because it's important to us. And I think that's really the power of ownership. And you're just really, you know, hitting home run after home run. Uh, on, on why belonging is so important as we try to create that ownership. Can I add to that? Yeah, yes, I please, please. Yeah, great. Because I, I see this in my coaching clients all the time. So I do all this career coaching, mainly on people who are thinking about changing jobs or changing careers totally. And the number one thing that comes up over and over is that they often started at the organization with that sense of ownership. Like they brought this in, they had these innovative ideas, they, they felt this call to solve problems. And over time that disappeared. And why did it disappear? Because it didn't feel like what they were saying or doing mattered, which is one of those two elements of belonging, right? They, and they say that all the time, like I'm not heard, or I do this thing and nobody recognizes it, or I offer up this suggestion and it's never implemented. And they just, you just 
feel them literally peeling away from the organization and just feeling like, why, why am I bothering anymore? And the people who can come in with such fire can become the, the clock punchers because the organization and the people around them didn't ever feel like what they were saying and doing mattered. That doesn't mean we have to implement everything that every suggestion, right? It's just saying that you recognize that the suggestion was made and you follow up and say, Hey, this is why we didn't go this way with this, but I really loved what you brought over here. Maybe we could channel it into this direction. That's a great way to work with people, right? And keep them engaged. 100%. And I think just as somebody can come in fired up all these ideas with this ownership mentality, you can have people come in and this category they talk about is renters where they're just not sure they're, you know, they've come in, this is a placeholder, they're, they're making a paycheck. But if you have this culture with high sense of belonging, driven by meaning and purpose, and we align that, you can transition those renters, those people that were just kind of here to punch the clock and leave and we'll see what comes along next into the owners. And then the second thing I think is really important, and we were in, it ties right to what you said, we were talking about this before we came on the show, is this one thing to create excellence, one thing to create a high performing team. It's another thing to sustain it because as human beings, we get bored. Things get routine. It's easy to fall off. It's natural. I mean, we're driven by what we want as human beings, right? I think leadership is an unnatural thing for most people um, because we're driven by what makes us happy. And that commitment to do that day in and day out really feeds and fuels the culture. So love, love all that. Anything you want to add before we talk about why exclusion is so detrimental to organizations? No, because I think that's a really meaty question. So I'd love to go there. Yeah. So why is exclusion so detrimental uh, when you look at this in organizations and at the workplace? Yeah. And I I think I want to go deep level why first, because um, again, to peel back, we know the numbers. I threw a bunch of numbers out there and how this really costs organizations if we don't have belonging. But if we really understand why exclusion is so problematic, we, we, it's just becomes like so self-evident that you can't, uh, you can't be excluding people because where exclusion hits us is at a very deep evolutionary place super deep evolutionary place. So if you go all the way back to um, when we were like that hunter gatherer kind of society, we literally could die if we weren't part of the group, literally probably would die with, if we weren't part of the group. So you had to have people around you. You had to feel like nobody's going to suddenly leave you um, physically leave you behind because your life and death depended on it. Now, certainly in our current workplaces, we don't feel like it's a life and death situation, but our brains still think it is. (laughs) So we still have that evolutionary sense of like it exclusion creates that sense of panic and vulnerability in us that's driven by something that's really way back in our history. Um, And when you start to think about that, it's like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And it's so embedded within us that our brains experience exclusion as physical pain. So you, there's a lot of research out there showing that people actually physically hurt when they are excluded. They, they feel it, not just on some psychological basis, although they certainly do, but you'll see them become more vulnerable to whatever illness is going around. They may actually start to like feel headaches and stomach aches and it hurts And that makes sense, right? Because if we could have died from being excluded, our body better tell us 
something's seriously wrong here. Get back in with the group. Um, but notably, just fitting in is not enough. We can still feel excluded when we are trying to fit in. Um, I love Brene Brown's research around this, that she's done a lot of great research showing that people now, even young kids, know the difference between belonging and fitting in. And they can articulate it actually quite beautifully, which is sort of concerning to think that children can see that. Yeah. But that, that fitting in is that sense like, I have to change myself in order to be a part of the group. And it's sort of like I'm surviving versus thriving where you're like, I am me. <laughs> I am fully me. And people still want me around. And I think a lot of organizations can encourage the fitting in behaviors, but not dig deeper to ask about, are you actually belonging here? Or are you just looking like you're belonging and you're hurting and you're going home every night feeling pain, physical and psychological pain, because fitting in doesn't cut it. Yeah, absolutely a huge fan of Brene Brown. And I pulled some stuff of hers that I'm getting ready to dive into. But I think a distinction that people don't want to miss on what you just said here, I think it is so important. Belonging is thriving. Fitting in is surviving. And think about a time in your life where you weren't thriving, where you were just surviving, where you're just trying to get to the next hour or the next day or the next week and what kind of place you were in. And then think about that place and then think about the time that you were the most productive and, and, and the best team player and the most creative and innovative. You're doing your best work. Could you have done that when you were surviving? And I think the answer is no. And I think it really brings to life the devastation of, of exclusion, the importance of belonging, just really, really, really powerful stuff. So one of the things, Rebecca, that is, is I talk about this and I look at this because you see belonging and now you're seeing a deeper space in, in the research about diversity and inclusion. And so before we dive into that, I just, I want to point out that super, super important and you have to be much more intentional, but you could have uh, a team of, of all black women, all black males, all white men. All, and that doesn't mean everybody belongs, but when we create these diverse work environments, which are the very highest performing, creative, innovative, <laughs> performing teams, um, this becomes even more important. So what are some of the special challenges or what do we do to ensure that we're creating that belonging in these diverse environments? Excellent question, because you're absolutely right. It's not just a numbers game. So many people act like, oh, we have enough of individuals of a certain race or background or whatever you're looking for. And so everything's fine. Well, have you talked to those individuals? Do they actually feel like they belong? Or are they just fitting in? Right? What it, what's actually happening for them? And so often there isn't anyone asking them that. <laughs> so one of the simplest, quote unquote, although it takes resources and time and intentionality, as you said, is to actually ask people in a safe setting how they're feeling about their sense of belonging at work. Um, one of the things that came out of BetterUp's research is that if you introduce an ally, it can undo the pain and the threat of exclusion. And an ally is simply someone, as they defined it, as someone who acknowledges and includes you. And so if you can think about within an organization, what would it look like to have intentional allies within the organization who are not in a position where they're going to be judging people for promotion um, or any of those performance elements and are able to have conversations with each individual 
maybe that's someone in HR, ideally, right? Like that should be a, a role of an HR leader or an individual who is like, I'm not going to make these decisions, but I can be there to acknowledge, make sure you're included and actually hear you. Um, and that can, brings us to another key element of the Better Up research that they found when they did some simulations of exclusion, which a lot of research does. They found that if you enable people to verbally process their exclusion after the fact, all of the problems that come along with exclusion actually disappear, which is amazing. So that verbal wow. processing is, yeah, it's like, it's wow. a bit mind blowing. Um, that verbal processing is asking them things like, you know, how would you design that situation better so people aren't left out? Um, or what would you tell someone who is feeling excluded? How would you help them through that? So helping them be part of the solution. And then again, ideally, that's, we didn't see this in the research because it was a simulation, but actually falling through on those suggestions because it becomes very hollow fast. If you're asking people, how would you design this situation better? How would you help people? And then you just say, okay, good. Now I've helped you process and I'm not going to do any of that. Um, you need to actually work on implementing those changes too. So you're hearing the, the key element is listening to people, letting them have an actual voice that matters, making changes based on that and making sure it's not somebody where they can't, where it's a high stakes relationship, right? I hear from my, my coaching clients all the time that they have supervisors who ask them, how's work going? Do you like it here? And they're like, I'm afraid to tell the truth because what if that means they then won't promote me or even worse, maybe they'll fire me. <laughs> so they don't tell the truth to their supervisors that this is going wrong and this is a problem. Um, instead, they're telling me a neutral third party, which yeah. is great, but I can't make change in their organization. And there really needs to be somebody there that's hearing them too. Absolutely. There's a couple of things I want to break down from that because that's, wow, so, so powerful. When we sit down and, and I, cause I, when I read the article and you talked about this, like by, by talking to somebody and asking them, you know, if they feel like they belong and working through the exclusion, it makes it better. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. But it ties in because when we do that, we say to them, I care about you. You're important. I, I respect you. You have value. You are significant. Right. And by sitting and doing that, and then as they process and they take these emotions from the abdula and they move it to the prefrontal cortex, that's where we can deal with these feelings. And then if we empower them to action, now they're actually involved in their belonging and helping others. And I think that once we transition from, you know, being a victim ourselves or feeling these negative emotions ourselves to then being able to help people who feel those emotions, it's a whole nother trigger purpose, meaning, passion within us. The observation you just made, this is crazy. So I do consulting work for this major company and my role, basically the way the CEO refers to me is Uncle Dan. And so my job, because this company is over 26 states and so highly remote, separated out, but my job is to you know, establish those incredible relationships with their team members and support them and have them be heard. And it's safe to talk to me because I'm Uncle Dan. I don't have any authority to discipline. I don't evaluate them or anything else. And on top of that, the senior leadership team listens to me. When I come to them with an issue, they solve it immediately. The other thing that does is there's times where as 
as team members, we just don't understand the big picture. And so it also allows me to provide understanding about maybe why some decisions are made and to ask questions about, you know, you've said that, you know, you said that John and Tom and Susie are great people. They really care about you. They care about the organization. So when this happens, why do you automatically go to the worst case scenario in your mind and think that it's for this reason, if you believe that? And so it's important from both sides, but this is a role that I'm seeing like so valuable to organizations, especially the bigger they become, I think. Um, so the fact that you talked about that just kind of blew me away. I'm like, well, that's why this is been so successful. And I can't wait to share this part of the conversation with that CEO. Great. Oh, I'm so glad that they're doing that. Kudos to them. Yeah. Yeah. There was a recognition when they brought me in, they said, we told people we were going to support them and be there for them. And we feel like we've let them down, you know, yes. and then they work to create the structure to support them through different layers of leadership, um, through, you know, my role, through some other roles, and then very intentionally themselves just to reach out more proactively because you get caught in those fires every day. So Rebecca, as we close up on belonging, what, is there anything we haven't talked about or haven't asked that's important that, that you want to share? Or if there isn't, because you've covered so much, is there a call to action you have as we walk out of here? Yeah, it's a, we did cover so much. I feel like we've, we've really covered the ground, although there's so much more uh, that peeling back that could be done on all of this in so many ways. And we really didn't dig into centering around race in particular, which really needs to happen. A diversity comes in so many different elements, right? I mean, even just thinking about people who are parents versus people who are not and all of these different ways that we can feel like we are not part of an organization. Uh, but we centering around race is going to be super important. And there's amazing uh, diversity and inclusion experts who can speak to that much more beautifully than I can. Um, and so I do want to note that, that it's like, I, I'm covering the high, the high level on belonging, but there's a lot more to be said, said there for sure. But I think the big call to action here is to a really get that sense that belonging matters. It's not a nice to have. It's an essential, <laughs> it's an absolutely essential ingredient. Like what are the other elements that you're in your organization that you could not do it without? Well, having focus on belonging is, has to be one of those. And if you don't believe that yet, then the call to action is go read the research and you're going to become a believer on it because it's that important. And then once you actually get to that level of commitment, because nothing's going to change until the leaders have commitment, right? Around this right. matters that deeply um, it is then starting to, create systematic ways that you're going to pay attention to belonging. Not once, you know, not, uh, we're going to do a retreat for a day and talk about belonging. Oh no, please don't. Um, no. <laughs> right. Like don't, I've, I've seen that enough times, but what is the systematic sustained way that you're going to do this? Is it going to be through the listening? Is it, and the allyship that you're going to create? Is it going to be having set up empathy building exercises, which certainly could go along with the allyship in a big, big way? Um, how are you going to change the culture so that you have those frequent, pleasant interactions uh, set up in the environment, whether it's a physical or a remote environment? Uh, and just keep coming back to that. We need people to feel mutual care and concern and feel like they're having interactions that are positive or neutral, at least not negative and regularly. So if you keep coming back to those two elements, it's like you, you can innovate in a million different ways to increase belonging in the organization. Wow. 
Very good stuff. Where, Rebecca, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? Yes. So my website is Rebecca F. T um, for Fraser Thill. So RebeccaFT.com. And I love LinkedIn. So you can always find me there too. I'm the only person I think in the world with Fraser Thill as a name. Um, <laughs> so I seem to be easily searchable as a result of that hyphenated name. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Such a meaty conversation and really appreciate it having the opportunity. So to our listeners, we dove deep into belonging and, you know, Rebecca just recapped the two most important factors that, that create belonging. One huge takeaway is belonging is an essential ingredient. So the week this podcast is released, and if you're catching it later, you can go back into the LinkedIn and the post. We will be breaking this episode down, putting out key components, you know, diving deep on that. Rebecca will be tagged in those things. So she'll be easy to find and, and research. But, you know, as we think about ownership, that extreme psychological, emotional commitment where people do things because it's important to them, where they're tied in and connected to the purpose, they, they feel like they belong, they have meaning, such an important piece of that, that sense of belonging is right above psychological safety in our framework. Um, it, it completely changes everything. So I, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, you know, while we're join the conversation on LinkedIn um, as we talk about this and ask questions and dive deeper. And I'm sure Rebecca is a big LinkedIn uh, person as well. We'll, we'll be we'll chime in through that week. It's going to add a ton of value um, to to our listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, please smash that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Consider giving us a rating review so can we can reach more people organically. And remember always be committed to excellence.